Hey guys, and welcome to the Grow Podcast. We're so happy you're here. I'm Ashley, your host through the monthly grain segment of the podcast, brought to you by the Landis Grow Solutions Center. On today's episode, I have two guests joining me to talk about the future of Landis when we think about our facilities and servicing that next generation of customers. Today, I have Don King and John Setterdahl on the podcast. Don King works as a business leader for Landis, and John works as the products and services leader for Landis. When I tell you that these two are a wealth of knowledge that is truly missing the bar here, I can't wait to dive into today's conversation. Well, Don and John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Let's go ahead and get started with Don, tell us about yourself, how you ended up at Landis, and what you do for us today. Well, thank you uh, for inviting me today. Uh, My name's Don King, and I come to Landis from Northwest Illinois where me and my wife, Valerie, owned ag retail businesses for the last 30-plus years. Come from a small town of Manlius, Illinois, which would be about 40 miles in from the Iowa border to Illinois, right off Interstate 80. Uh, my company name was Mickley Agri Center and Mickley Grain, and uh, had the pleasure of working there in it since 83 and bought the business in 93 and, and uh, sold my last business and kind of retired from there two years ago and uh, had a great business, uh, grain, agronomy, feed, seed, fuel, and served about a three-county area with truly great employees and great customers. And uh, when I was ready to retire, uh, Matt took the job here, Matt Carson's at uh, Landis and hired my son, John, who runs the agronomy here. And the next thing I know, my phone was ringing and uh, talked me to coming out and helping. And it's been a pleasurable 27 months being out here, being in Iowa. I love rural communities and I love agriculture. And, uh, you know, it's been what I've done my whole life. And uh, working with the Landis team and the Landis customers and employees has been truly special. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. All right. And John, tell us about yourself, how you ended up at Landis, or should we say back at Landis, and yeah. what you do for us today. Back, back at Landis is a good way to put it, actually. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Uh, so I've been in the business for about 35 years, uh, mainly in grain uh, origination, risk management, transportation. I uh, started in the business back in the late 80s uh, with Pillsbury when they still had a grain company back then. Uh, they sold out to uh, Conagra and their grain company was called Peavy. Uh, so I worked for uh, Peavy Grain Company. So had about 10 years combined on the commercial side of the business between Pillsbury and Peavy combined. Moved a lot back in that time frame. That was uh, just kind of how you did the grain adventure back then. I uh, was married the whole time. My wife and I moved about eight times in those 10 years. So that was fun for a while. And then uh, we started having a family and wanted to be uh, more stable than that. So uh, sought out a little more stability. And that was where I, I landed at uh, Farmers Co-op at FC. And that was back in the mid-90s. Uh, winter of 95, 96. So for the old timers out there, that was right uh, in the year following the Hedge 2 arrive uh, crisis uh, that uh, helped the company get through. Was with FC for uh, for 19 years up until the uh, spring of 2015, uh, all in grain uh, uh, merchandising and management roles at, uh, during that time. Uh, I was ready to try something different by about then. That was uh, one year before the merger with uh, West Central that formed uh, Landis. So a friend of mine uh, looked me up, and uh, again, I was ready to try something different, and uh, went to the ethanol sector. Uh, so I worked for a company called White Energy, 
based out of Dallas, Texas, was their commercial manager for five years. During that time frame, was still living in central Iowa. My wife and I have uh, three grown children and three grandchildren, uh, all here uh, within about an hour and a half of Des Moines. So uh, I was commuting every other week between uh, Des Moines and Dallas. And after five years, that was getting a little <laughs> bit tiresome. And I was ready to uh, kind of come back and stay closer to home. And at that time, or I should say by that time, uh, Landis had made the CEO change to Matt. Uh, he and I connected. Um, I, I know uh, Matt's family pretty well. Actually, when I was at FC, uh, for many of those years, uh, his father was the board chairman at that time. I know his uh, cousin really well. So uh, he and I connected. He asked me if I'd consider coming back, and I was ready to uh, come back uh, here. So it worked out, and that was a, a quick two years ago. So um, <laughs> time uh, is flying by, but uh, that was uh, uh, how that came to be. As far as what I do here for Landis, in terms of the products and services lead, uh, what Don does is oversees a lot in the country with the people and the assets and the sales force and uh, the products and services uh, group uh, uh, oversees a lot of things that helps that group be successful out in the country. So it's great merchandising, transportation, risk management, functions affiliated with uh, uh, feed and soy processing, agronomy procurement. Uh, there, we have an operations support team that I lead, also capital projects, uh, and more recently, uh, uh, trucks and transportation. So mm-hmm. plate's pretty full, something different every day, but uh, it's truly an enjoyable place to work. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, we're really going to talk today about, you know, some announcements that we've made and and really as we think about moving forward and that next kind of generational farmer as he thinks about his operation. Um, so I want to go ahead and start by diving in. We made a really, really cool announcement um, here. It's probably been a, a month or so ago, and I'll read a quick recap. Um, so Landis, Iowa's largest farmer-owned cooperative, announced plans to invest a record $150 million in incremental capital spending into core grain and agronomy facilities throughout the company's territory to modernize aging infrastructure and improve service to local farmers. This comes at a time when aging rural infrastructure continues to make headlines and present challenges for farmers, ag businesses, communities throughout the state. So, John, as you think about this investment announcement, just help us put in terms, right? Why is this important and what does that really mean? $150 million, I feel like that's a really easy number to say, but, you know, help us really break down those two parts. Yeah, thanks for the question, Ashley. And uh, it's worth noting, too, that the $150 million announcement was incremental spend over and above what our normal uh, capital budgets would be annually. So a uh, major endeavor by the company to uh, reinvest in core facilities. Uh, in terms of why this is important and why it's important now, uh, as, you, as you're out driving around the state, you can kind of see that uh, a lot of the infrastructure built out here uh, was built back in the 50s, 60s. And many times uh, elevators were spaced uh, six to eight miles apart because every town had a railroad back then. And that was the limitation on water uh, for steam locomotives. So that kind of explains why the the distance wasn't what it was. But those facilities are reaching the end of their useful life and in some cases becoming uh, an unsafe environment. So it's it's almost time to uh, re-ante up for the next generation of agriculture and producers out here. Uh, It's an exciting time for us. Uh, We've got some, uh, some really good things going with expanding our demand reach for grain. 
as we look at determining uh, what and where the investments are going to be, there'll be focuses on receiving speed, storage uh, capacity, and also market access, which I think is a really important mm-hmm. issue going forward. Uh, we talk about connecting here a lot. Our, our facility in Des Moines is called the Connector. Uh, we've had a lot of growers in here. Uh, and going right along with that theme, we're doing some connecting of our own with uh, end users to grow that market. Uh, we're running our own rail freight for the first time ever this year on the BNSF, and we'll probably expand that uh, in, in, uh, along with the UP uh, next year. And that involves uh, dealing directly with end users um, in the Southwest U.S. and also in Mexico. Uh, we recently announced an office opening in Guadalajara, which uh, flows right along with that same theme on uh, on connectivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of this is built around market access and uh, and built around the hubs. These rail loaders, uh, we think, are going to provide uh, long-term uh, beneficial value to all and all Venice members. No, I think that's really awesome, and especially, I mean, my role right in grain origination. Um, I think that's something really cool that Landis has done is invest in some of our own rail freight, right? Like that is something out of the box that is really, I think, beneficial to our customers. So, Don, how does Landis think about capital investments um, specific to the future Landis customer? You know, I, I think when we think about what capital needs to be done and, and where farming's going, uh, reminds me when I came back out here a couple of years ago, looking at the infrastructure that we had at the time and, and really Iowa in general, a lot of infrastructure built in the early 50s, 60s that were, you know, quite frankly made for the four row combine a John Deere tractor with a 200 bushel wagon mm-hmm. and the updates that, it, you know, that we're at today with the 16 rail corn head, the huge tractors, the big wagons, the grain carts and the bushels per hour that today's producer can, it can knock out. So when looking at the grain side of it, there was many, many changes that needed to be done. You know, when we think of where we need to be, it's not 2023, it's 2035, 2040. And the capital we're doing uh, with John's team and and everybody together planning on that, you know, we're looking at that 2040 timeframe. So we mentioned hubs a lot, and that would be our our big elevators usually located on a railhead. And we're putting a lot of time and effort into them to build them up to be that grain facility for the future. And we got many projects going on, but when we talk about agronomy, one thing that, that in Iowa, a little bit differently where I come from in Illinois, it seems like the investment in most of Iowa is not matched where I come from as far as speed, efficiency, and looking to the future in agronomy. So one thing you'll see from us for the future in our agronomy facilities we're building, we're building fertilizer uh, facilities that'll be speed, space, and uh you know, a lot of the things we're doing when we look at chemical buildings, 32% tanks, you know, that'll be a 24-7 because the farmers today, when they go to the field to plant, with all the technology they have, they can run that tractor 24-7. They're doing huge acreage per day. And we're really going to, you know, try to get to where we can service that market. We're going through a huge ammonia anhydrous uh, rebuild trying to get that up to a standard of what it should be today. A lot of our ammonia plants today, it takes 35 to 45, 50 minutes to fill two 1,450-gallon tanks. And we'll have that cut down where we can fill four of those in somewhere around close to 20 minutes or less. So 
We're trying to rebuild it for what uh, where we're at today in agriculture in 2022, but really looking at what 2040 looks like. Yeah, no, I like that. And I really think about, you know, one of the kind of pillars of Landis is right speed and agility is another one. And so I feel like as we think about this conversation today and what you just mentioned, I mean, those are two huge pieces that we have to bring to this next farmer. This farmer does not have time to wait on us <laughs> because he's got to go, go and, you know, continue to, to pound the pavement. So as we think about, you know, others in the industry, right, like it's just it's not just Landis that has aging assets. We're all obviously facing, you know, aging facilities, ever changing technology. How do things as a whole in the ag industry have to start changing? And I'll let either one of you answer or you both can. I'll start for you. So when you come into Iowa, if you haven't been a native of Iowa, (laughs) I think the Iowa symbol is the the concrete silo built in 1950. Mm-hmm. You know, as I travel the state and go to many small towns, you know, you see a tremendous amount of infrastructure, especially in the grain side, that was built at a time in a town, which having a structure in a town is never a great deal. But because of the the rail being there, a lot of those were built in, you know, it's it it's ran its life. It, it's done what it was supposed to. And uh, it does not meet what the size of the equipment and uh, industries turned into. So Iowa, you know, let alone Landis, has a tremendous amount of uh, infrastructure that needs to be put in the next five to 10 years and uh, to keep up with what agriculture is today. So, you know, I see a lot of different projects happening and, and that'll probably bring more consolidation uh, you know, the cost of capital for us investing $150 million uh, of extra money, that's probably going to go with another $90 million or more that we typically would use over those three years. So that's $240 million. Not many people out there have that money that they can invest in. I don't care if it's private, uh, Fortune 500, or the cooperative model. So great job to the Landis Board and Matt for having the foresight and the ability to have that capital to put in place. So, you know, a lot of exciting things happening. Uh, agriculture is going to take such a big turn here shortly. And, uh, you know, proud to be on the team with uh, people like John and Matt to look at that what that future looks like. Well, Don, I got to say, the, the one time that I really, really do appreciate a concrete elevator in a town is when you are biking across Iowa. And you go... <laughs> I can see the elevator. That means a stop is coming. <laughs> For those of you that aren't familiar, we just had Rag Ride cut through the state, um, which is a huge event um, where people bike across Iowa and um, just a fun opportunity for sure. So, John, back to the question. I mean, how do we start changing as a whole, as a SAG industry? Yeah, so I think another uh, perspective here on, on the investment is uh, we're also going to see investments in technology to run facilities more efficiently. Yeah. Uh, we all know all too well the challenges of, of uh, availability of labor out in the country here. It seems like it's getting uh, more difficult all the time. So uh, longer term for Landis, in addition to uh, operating fewer facilities, they will be much larger in scale uh, for capacity. Uh, like I said before, receiving speed, uh, storage uh, capacity, and market access. But we're also going to be uh, tapping into technologies whereby from a smartphone uh, off-site, you can operate the grain dryer, 
you can operate your entire aeration system uh, while we're loading trains. And, uh, you know, I'd give credit to our train loading crews because we're doing a lot of that this year at all days of the week and hours of the day, and they're doing a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do need to figure out how to load trains using fewer people because they're just not there to be on call like that. So such as uh, remote uh, control locomotives, we'll be employing that here shortly to hopefully be able to cut that uh, crew size needed in half uh, that currently takes to load trains. And that'll be uh, not only more efficient, but uh, uh, better for our people overall. Yeah. I mean, you think of, you start to think about people, right? And um, I don't know if it's just my generation or if people are just ready for it, but it sure feels like you know, people want way more work-life balance than, than they once were. Um, so I think it'll be inter interesting moving forward. Not only do we have some aging facilities, but we have a workforce that doesn't want to do the same thing that maybe, you know, you all's generation wanted to do, right? And I think about some things that we've done here at Landis. We've, you know, employed the Growth Solutions Center to allow people from, you know, different parts of the Midwest to participate in our grain origination team. Because, John, some of us marry farmers and have to be in certain parts of the world to accommodate that. So I want to take a quick dive into something that's really, really exciting for me. Um, and I'll let you guys decide how you want to tackle this and, and who wants to start. But I want to talk about one specific build that I think is just tremendous, very exciting, um, especially after the news that we had to make last harvest to those farmers. So let's talk about this Mitchellville build. It's in my trade area, so it's a little special to me um, as I think about a brand new facility to buy grain into. But you know, give us a quick history. How did we get here for those of the our listeners that maybe aren't familiar? And then a quick look into what do we expect at this facility, right? Well, I'll talk a little bit about the, the facility itself on the fertilizer and chemical side. John can do the grain, but, you know, I can remember my, my first drive out here to look at Landis and coming by those two facilities. And, you know, the Bondurant, when you see it, it's an icon. Mm -hmm. uh, a, you know, a beautiful landmark to show agriculture in a growing metropolitan area in Iowa. But the problem is those things were built in that 50, 60 time frame. They did what they were supposed to. The city grew around them and, you know, not a lot of capital was put back into them. So, you know, I think the best word to say they need retired and uh, because of some other things they were going to get retired anyway from an insurance prospect. But, you know, when we did, we looked at doing the Mitchellville project, I'm a big proponent of building super centers and that's a big agronomy and a big grain facility uh, all together. That service probably uh, on agronomy, a 35, 40 mile area, grain a little bit less than that. But uh, looking for that space of land where we could do that and really showing the footprint of what Landis will look like for the future and probably what retail ag will look like in Iowa for the future. And, you know, I couldn't be happier. We got uh, we got a beautiful fertilizer building going up with over 8,000 ton of storage that will load, receive quickly and load out quickly. That can serve a massive amount of producers in that area. And uh, we'll have the application equipment that'll go with it. We're going to have a really, really nice ammonia facility there that'll be state-of-the-art. It'll be one of the best ones out here in the state of Iowa. It will load efficiently. It will unload efficiently. It'll be really, have some really good safety factors with it. I uh, really look forward to that. 
And then probably a highlight for me uh, coming from Illinois, where I own my own businesses and all my facilities on the agronomy side on chemicals were hot load facilities. And as you get in Iowa, you don't get to see much of that. We have a couple, but really aren't used to the max capacity like I, you know, like I ran in my life. And the, the capacity that we will have in that to hot load chemicals, to load out water solution and starter, uh, you know, we're hoping to get where we can do this 24 hours a day with minimal labor and we'll really be able to give the services needed to the people in that area. And again, I think it's going to be a 30 to 40 mile area that we'll be able to service. But when you see it, it'll be one of those of what the future of, of ag retail looks like. And I'll let John talk on the grain side of it, but uh, I encourage anybody that's going down the interstate to jump off at the Mitchellville exit <laughs> and kind of see what we're doing there. And, you know, it's evolution. Each week it keeps changing and for a guy coming from Illinois mostly every week, that's the first stop I get off and see what's going <laughs> on. So pretty proud of what we're doing. But, uh, you know, we're still battling uh, labor shortages, uh, supply chain shortages, and the weather. Uh, when we started the project that rained every day, now we need to rain in that area. So, John, go ahead. Yeah, so it's going to be uh, you know great visibility, uh, tremendous access, uh, as Don said, less than a mile off of I-80. You know, once complete, it's going to be a state-of-the-art uh, grain facility, inbound-outbound scales, receiving capacity at uh, 40,000 bushel an hour minimum. Uh, there'll be a uh, large hoop building for 4 million bushel capacity for corn storage. Uh, there'll be a 1.2 million bushels uh, bin for soybeans, grain dryer, um, you know, as far as market access, even though it's not on rail. And here I talked a few minutes ago about uh, rail hubs being important. Pleasant Hill is the supporting, uh, you know, rail access in that area, uh, which is a critical asset to the company. Uh, dual access there on the southeast side of Des Moines, both to BNSF uh, and Norfolk Southern. So a very unique uh, asset for market access. And in Mitchellville, uh, certainly the case for corn will be a key uh, contributor feeding uh, that market. Yeah, so one thing that I want to be sure to mention is we've got some really cool drone footage um, and I think we'll probably continue to update that as we get more facility, I guess, updates there. Uh, but we'll go ahead and put a link in the show notes to, if you want to, check it out. We had, I believe it was John, who leads the agronomy portion of the podcast, go out with his drone and, and take some footage for us, which is, it's cool. Um, it's definitely going to be a facility where you're not going to miss it. Um, I'm really excited for these customers to get a chance to deliver there. Um, we've had a little pain in shutting down their assets in particular, um, but man, I really think they're gonna be happy when it comes to, to this new build. So one thing, and I didn't prepare you all for this, and Don, this is probably directed at you, but John, I'd like your input too. As we think about one thing that's changed in Landis as well and, and in structures is we have a lot of piles, right? And so as we talk about this new Mitchellville build, John, you quickly mentioned we've got a roughly 4 million bushel flat. Tell our, tell our listeners what that is, why we decided to do this. We obviously did one in rake, but, you know, what's the beauty of these versus, you know, maybe a ground bunker that our customers are used to? So, you know, coming to Iowa and seeing the pile concept out here, it seems like every facility had a large pile and it made up sometimes close to 30 to 50 percent of the storage of, the, of that facility. I believe land is today and John can tell me if I'm wrong. 38% of our storage is in ground piles. And for the people that know what uh, what those are, they're labor intensive. 
They bring on what I call recreational trucking back and forth, <laughs> getting the people to help put the tarps on and then cleaning them out in, in today's labor market that's so shortly supplied. It's a tough deal. And then some places we don't have dryers and we got quality concerns. So, you know, in Illinois, when we had those, the only reason we ever build them if we had a bumper crop and it was the extra 10 to 15, 20 bushel an acre that we were getting in. Usually you built, if you put one out the next year or the next two to three years, you were looking to put another structure up, a permanent structure to as the yield advance to go so you didn't have to use them. And if we did use them, they were 60 days and, and pretty well picked up. So the hoop shed concept comes from in 2019, I built my first hoop shed there in Sheffield, Illinois, from a company called Macon located in Bradford, Illinois, which is about 20 miles south of there, uh, where I had another grain facility and private company with great individuals that I've known my whole life. And I've done a great job in the grain industry and, and really commit to projects. So I built the 2 million bushel uh, hoop shed in 19. I think at that time, my cost of uh, per bushel was around $1.85 a bushel. So the economics with that, it's something I could pay get a quick payback with, I, I predicted it would pay back in four to five years compared to a grain bin that's in the 20s and a silo that would be in the 30s. And today for some of the grain piles that we put up, we were in the high $1.80s to $2 a bushel. And it was not, you know, it was a temporary deal. So I kind of brought that concept out here. I know that family that owns it well, they've treated us right. And, you know, we started in rake with 4 million bushel uh, we're doing a 2 million bushel today in early. We're going to have a 4 million bushel at uh, Mitchellville. And I think John's got two or three more on the books planned for the next year. So it's a concept we like. Cost per bushel, covered. Uh, the grain keeps really well. It's got good aeration. Uh, we have a center uh, unload system that reclaims probably about 60, 65% of the grain in there. And the rest, you just get an inloader in and move and... Uh, yeah, it's a good process that uh, that I believe in. I believe in a lot, John. So yeah, I think uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the uh, bunkers that uh, the Landis has were built back in the late '90s, early 2000s. And if you think about what was happening in agriculture back then, uh, it was pre-ethanol, and it was in a period of time where yields, because of advancements in hybrid. And and, uh, and agronomic practices were growing tremendously. Weather was really good in that time span there. And uh, you also had, from a labor standpoint, much more available labor uh, out in the country to run facilities. And it was more of a environment of fill space once, and the market was always in carries back then, it <laughs> seemed like, which we kind of forgot what that even looks like here the last few years. But uh, they, they served a purpose uh, at the time. But again, that's for the most part approaching 20 years old now. The marketplace has changed a heck of a lot. And uh, as Don talked about the, uh, the hoop buildings, one thing we're finding out is, uh, yeah, the sense per bushel on construction is a, is a definite beneficial factor. But we're also finding out that uh, even though they're covered uh, with a, you know, you look at it and say, well, it's not steel, it's not concrete. Uh, how flexible is it? in terms of utility. We're finding uh, flexibility we didn't uh, envision in, in uh, 
that is workable space. You can go into the structure, you know, as needed, pull out uh, as needed for trains, uh, and then repeat uh, that as often as you need to. So there's a lot more flexibility with the structure than we even thought. So Don's correct. We have one. The first one built was in Rake. That was a four million bushel building. We're building uh, one now up in early that'll be functional for this fall, which will be two million bushels for soybeans. Uh, there's one committed to be built at Yetter for next year, aside from Mitchellville, uh, going on currently. And uh, yeah, we, we like them. There's a definite fit in landage for these in the future, and I think we'll be entertaining one or two of these a year going forward. Well, awesome. I appreciate that. I mean, I just think it's good for our listeners and especially farmers that are listening in thinking, what in the heck are these hoop buildings that Landis is putting up? And I think it's a good conversation to have. And I know this is important, too, as we think about safety for our people, right? These piles are are pretty um, pretty heavy when it comes to safety. We want to make sure that we're making sure everybody goes home every single day. Well, we had the additional risk last year of uh, we had a lot of piles that were put out at harvest time that were not covered yet. Mm-hmm. And it rained six inches in a week. Yeah. And uh, Don talked about the quality of risk. Uh, we've managed through that uh, knock on wood pretty well. But uh, that causes some major changes to your marketing plan when you have uh, that kind of risk. So uh, grain is precious, especially these prices. We don't need to take any more risk than the markets are already giving us yeah. in terms of the uh, storability of the product. No doubt. All right. So we've talked a lot about the Mitchellville build and John and Don, you guys have mentioned a couple others, but Let's just kind of go through what other projects is Landis investing in or, you know, as we think about some other topics that we've had here on the podcast, what is Landis maybe not willing to invest in anymore? So early is a a project we mentioned a little bit ago. Uh, That'll be functional for this fall. That's going to be real exciting for that trade area. Early has been a a real good soybean market for us, and they've handled uh, a lot of bushels of beans through old downtown early, which if anybody's driven through or by that, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It is uh, tired and will be retired, actually. So this 2 million bushel capacity, along with 20,000 bushel an hour receiving, will be a uh, pleasant surprise and uh, very welcome for growers in that market. Uh, so that'll be functional by this fall. The other ones uh, we've already talked about, uh, Mitchellville and uh, uh, Yetter is one that uh, project's been approved. Uh, we had a, a silo failure there a few months ago. That old workhouse has been totally uh, demolished, and the uh, project's been approved for a a modern rebuild uh, to that that'll be uh, in place and functional by next harvest of 23. So there will be a uh, make and hoop building on that site also uh, between three and a half and four million bushel capacity, uh, new soybean storage, and also uh, increases to receiving speed. So Yetter is a uh, is a key hub for us in terms of rail loading and that market access theme I referred to earlier. So that's going to have a uh, very much a modern look by this time next year. Changing gears a bit uh, away from the the, the rail grain uh, hub loading concept, we've partnered with AMBC for an exciting feed mill project at the Hamlin facility. It's actually being uh, constructed on a small parcel of our property. We carved out and sold it to AMBC. It'll be connected uh, to the existing grain facility that's there at Hamlin. Uh, we will have investments to make on the land side of that for wet corn storage, probably some uh, additional grain enhancements in the future, but that's going to be an exciting project uh, estimated to be complete by late 23 or spring of 24, 400,000 ton mill. So a nice size mill uh, and will be a, a great uh, asset for Audubon County. In terms of other things, uh, and I'll let Don uh, uh, finish up after me here, but 
Uh, other things we're investing in, um, you know, we haven't talked about data at all on, on this call yet, but uh, a lot of the things we're doing for market access uh, on the demand side are also going hand in hand with uh, endeavors we have on the origination side to expand our footprint. We're going to grow our market share organically here in Iowa, but we're also going to be uh, partnering with some folks for origination uh, out of state that are not uh, involved with having hard assets. It's going to be accessing customers and giving them an experience of what uh, dealing with uh, landers can be like. We think leading into that market with grain opens up some opportunities for agronomy to follow. And I think, uh, you know, the Mitchellville site might have a, a role to play in that. The other thing that to talk about is uh, on the data side, in terms of uh, running freight, uh, market access, we're, we're dealing very well with uh, Friona Industries, you know, marketing partners of ours uh, down the Texas Panhandle. We're working together to develop a, uh, a, for lack of better terms, a low carbon beef initiative that involves uh, many stakeholders. So this has taken a long time to bring together, involving uh, both uh, Landis, Friona, the railroad, as well as uh, packing and uh, retail partners as well. So that's taken some time to get to the finish line, but we're working on that and that's a real exciting uh, project going forward. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Don, what you got to add? Well, we uh, we got a rebuild going on at Jefferson. So when we get done, we'll have a really, really efficient, nice grain facility there at one of our hubs. We've already talked about Mitchellville, which will be our first super center uh, actually uh, constructed. Uh, we got projects going on in green. We got a, a project in Rake where we're building a brand new hot load chemical facility. And for the people that know the Rake uh, facility, we made some really good upgrades on the grain side. We got a really nice ammonia and uh, solution and fertilizer facility there. This will turn Rake into a super center. We got a little cleanup to do, but this will be the second super center we have. And then we got projects that we're looking at in Britt, New Hartford. And probably the one that I'm really excited about for Landis in general is when I look at our uh, ag chemistry uh, distribution, we really aren't set up well to, to have that for a company our size. And we're looking at a state-of-the-art brand new uh, facility in Boone on our property there. And that'll be our main facility where we'll distribute out of there to our other facilities to our uh, other partners we have in the industry. And that'll be, uh, you know, we'll put a hot load facility in there for the area farmers. And that'll be one of our, maybe our first digital selling tool that we have at Landis. So we're looking forward to all those things. So we got a lot of good things going <laughs> on. We've updated our application equipment with John Deere. We got a great working relationship today with John Deere and the Van Well or Van Wall people. And they've been super to us and, uh, we really look forward to that relationship. And in the ammonia sites, we're really doing a big upgrade on that. We'll probably have four or five new uh, greenfield plants put in over the next two to three years. And we'll probably upgrade at least 15 to 16 other facilities. So I'm pretty proud about that. And one thing that we really need to do that we're, we'll be doing over the next five years is upgrading our nurse tanks in the ammonia side. Hasn't been much money spent on those. They haven't been very efficient. I'm sure there's a lot of farmers that are shaking their head right now agreeing with me. So I see the pain and I feel the pain and we're going to work on getting that better. So in general, when I started, when I was in college, junior college, 
my first work experience in uh, Normandy, Illinois. The gentleman that owned that company, his name was Roy Atherton. And uh, one of the important things I had taught in my life is that he told me, Don, to be good, you got to look good. And I think that's part of the concept that we're all trying to do to land us at our locations. We have to meet what the farmer of the future looks at. And uh, we're really working hard to get there. So over the next couple of years, I think you'll see that put in play a lot. Yeah, well, I appreciate the both of you kind of walking us through some of these things because I think some of this slips the forefront of the farmer or the listener's mind, right? And they sometimes get into the negative. So I think it's really great to have you both on here to just shine some light on some of the really awesome things that we're doing, not without some struggle, right? Um, some rebuilding of assets or, you know, closing a few assets like Altoona Bondurant, but building brand new sites as well. So I want to thank you guys both for coming on. Um, it's been really fun to have you both on here. And I always enjoy like just chatting with the both of you and, and just getting your insight as I think about different situations, because you guys have had a tremendous amount of industry experience, right? And so I really, really hope that our listeners have enjoyed this. Lastly, anything you guys want to add here as we close out? So, yeah, you know, doing podcasts, you know, listen to a lot of ag things. <laughs> you know, there's always a few tips that they give at the end of oh, it. Oh, yeah. So in my preparation today was to look at for anybody out there that wants to look at the future, maybe a few tips from Don where they can maybe glean some fun and uh, see what happens. So, my pick for the listeners today, a long shot to win the American League on baseball, the Seattle Mariners, <laughs> and a long shot to win the National League, and I hate that I'm going to say this, is the St. Louis Cardinals, <laughs> and a long shot for the World Series, the Seattle Mariners. You hear, you heard it here first. John, what about you? Are you just rooting for the Cyclones, man, or, or what you got going? What's your well, advice? I'm surprised Don didn't say Cubs, but that'd be, <laughs> that would be I can't. A, a, a million to one odds on that. But, no, appreciate you having us on, Ashley. I mean, yeah, Don and I have been around the business for a long time. We've got, I think, very different experiences and perspectives, and we complement each other, I think, in a lot of ways because of that. Uh, I remember back to my the very first field uh, assignment I had back with Pillsbury was Grand Forks, North Dakota. And I uh, walked in, met the manager, and he said, you'll be sitting at this desk over here. Uh, so be mindful, this is the summer of uh, 1987. And there was a stack of pick certificates about a, about a <laughs> foot high. And uh, those of you that have been around a long time know what I'm talking about, uh, uh, pick certificates, right? But... Uh, so I mean, been fortunate to see a lot of, a lot of things kind of come and go in agriculture. Uh, this thing kind of moves in cycles, and I've been fortunate to see and, and be a part of a lot of those, kind of front end, front edge of a lot of those exciting cycles. I was uh, in my years with FC was again before ethanol plants started uh, getting built. Uh, you know, saw the shuttle system get built out for high speed, high volume rail. Then the ethanol sector came along. I think a lot of the things that the Landis is doing now with investments in not only the, uh, the facilities in terms of bricks and mortar and steel, but also technology, we're really preparing ourselves for that next sector of agriculture. Mm -hmm. There will be a digital component to that. Uh, Don spoke to that. But there's also going to be a, a very important uh, you know, quality of life for the employee, managing that along with you know, the, the high demands that uh, the customer is going to have on our execution because the customer is getting bigger all the time as well. 
Mm-hmm. No doubt. Well, thank you guys again for joining. To our listeners, be sure to subscribe to the podcast just so that you never miss a grain or agronomy segment and always stay up to date on the land as an industry news. Also, be sure that you're checking out the show notes on each of our podcasts, um, just as we add some fun kind of different blips in there for you to learn more and check out some more information. Hi, Grow Podcast listeners. Did you know that there are only 20 weeks until Christmas? I don't know about you, but a little extra spending cash leading into the holidays is never a bad thing. Landis has your answer. We are seeking seasonal employees to help with harvest. If you or someone you know is interested in a seasonal job, visit www.landis.ag backslash careers to check out the opportunities in your local area and apply. Seasonal Employment at Landis gets you in the heart of the excitement of harvest and offers great supplemental wages, a fun and fast-paced workplace, and even an opportunity for an additional bonus. Seasonal team members who work over 120 hours between August 22nd and November 25th will receive a $500 bonus. Whether you are looking for a little extra cash for the holidays, saving up for something fun, or just looking for a great opportunity to join in the excitement of harvest, Landis needs you. Again, you can apply for positions at www.landis.ag backslash careers. That's www.landus.ag backslash C-A-R-E-E-R-S and apply to those positions today. We look forward to having you join our seasonal team. Landis is an equal opportunity employer.